There is a, a Catholic philosopher and professor named Peter Kreeft. You may have heard of him. And he's often asked to come give talks, to come give his conversion story at churches or conferences. And he always asked, okay, good, I'll come if you would give me a full hour. And they usually say, no problem, full hour, no problem. So he comes, and he does a little bait and switch with them, though. He'll talk for 15 or 20 minutes about his conversion, about the Catholic faith, throw a few things out there that are, uh, you know, a bit contentious, and then he'll stop and say, okay, he says the same thing at the end of each talk. He says, dialogue is much more interesting than monologue. Dialogue is much more interesting than monologue. I've seen him do this. He was giving a talk on Islam. And when he said that, he goes, okay, let's hear it. What are your questions? And he opened up the whole hall to people who had questions or maybe even to challenge him. And for me, that was the best part. That's when all the good stuff came out. Meeting people where they're at, letting himself be challenged, asking good questions, engaging people, even some people getting a little sassy with him. But that's where all the good stuff was. That's where the conversion, that's where the catechesis, that's where much of the formation happened. When he opened it up and engaged and engage the group, and engage the con congregation. Now, lectures are good. Talks are good. You're getting one right now. And we know that Jesus gave the, you know, the greatest sermon. The Sermon on the Mount lasts about three chapters. We'll hear his farewell discourses and John's gospel, and that lasts also three chapters, just long, long speeches by our Lord. But I think even he knew sometimes you really have to enter into and engage with a person, even if it seems a little argumentative, a little debate-like, and in dialogue. And that's what happens today with the woman at the well. So let's see what happened here, because it is worth looking into. Jesus sits down. She doesn't know this woman. This woman comes out of nowhere in the middle of the day just to get some water. And he starts the conversation with a simple request. May I have a drink? Give me a drink. Now, most people in this room are very nice people. You probably, if someone asks you, you'd get a little water and give it to them, and the conversation would be over. Well, that's not the dynamic here. She knows who he is. He's a Jew. And she is not, and she engages him. You can even see her body language. Are you talking to me? You're talking to me, a Samaritan woman. She gets not quite angry, but she's curious. She doesn't give him the water right away, anyway. But she engages in conversation, and so does he. So they're slowly developing a relationship. We're slowly getting to know her. We don't know her. He knows her, but we get a chance to know her. 
So she retorts back, what are you doing asking me? I'm a Samaritan woman. You guys don't talk to us, right? And then he says to her, well, if you knew who was asking you, you would be asking me for water. If you knew who was asking. Then she gets a little sassy. You don't even have a bucket. This is our well. This is, you think you're better than our father Jacob? This is starting to get good. Starting to get good. But then he sees her longing, goes straight to what she needs to hear. He said, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me and I would give you living water, welling up to eternal life. Welling up to eternal life. And I think it's here that he says to her, right, something she needs to hear. Something she longs for. Her now, her, her poverty and her longing are exposed. He, she kind of suspends the debate a little bit. Her sassiness melts away. She kind of, you ever seen this? Sometimes women will do this. They'll smile and drop their, their shoulders. And then you get a little insight into what's going on in their heart with a simple statement. I want that water. Whatever were you talking about, sir, I want that. She's now becomes a little vulnerable to him. But now it's really starting to amp up. She reveals that she is hurting, that she is exposed. Then he starts to do the real work. She starts, he starts to reveal her core wound with a simple, another simple question. Or a simple request. Uh, go get your husband. Which anybody standing around would be kind of an innocuous question. Hey, sure, no problem. But he knew that he was going right for her heart. And I imagine, you know, she kind of relaxed, was a little bit unsassy. But I think she's sassied up again. She probably folded her arms and just simply said, I don't have a husband. Closed up. Got under armor, maybe a little hint that he's on to me. But they're getting to know each other, a little bit more comfortable. And then he drops the bomb. He says, I know you're not married. You've been married five times, and the guy you're with now is not even your husband. Boom. <laughs> Boom and busted. But God bless her. God bless her because she doesn't get defensive. She doesn't snap her fingers in a Z formation and say, you're judging me. She doesn't say any of that. Who do you think you are? I don't need this. But also what is exposed now is who she is and even in her community. What is she doing in the middle of the day? Getting water when most of the ladies come up at the beginning and the end of the day. Well, she's probably the floozy on the end that no one wants to talk to. She's been married five times, and she's shacking up with the sixth one. She's probably, if there's a caste system in Samaria, she's at the bottom. She's a zero, not a hero. But now that that's all exposed, now that she's wide open, if you will, without getting too defensive, she even goes deeper to divisions 
to the divisions within their communities. As if to say, you want to go there? Then let's go there. You Jews say we've got to, we got to worship on this mountain. We say we'll worship on this mountain. Who's right? Who are you? Asking huge questions. In other words, I know where you're going, so let's go there. She has insight. So what does Jesus do? Give her a little advanced catechesis. She says, listen, woman, we will neither, you will neither worship on either one. You'll worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Now, she reveals a little bit more. Not only is she a Samaritan, maybe she's not the highest ranking Samaritan. Maybe she is the floozy on the end of the road. But we find out that she is an educated Jew. That she's heard, she's heard the fathers and the patriarchs. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. And I know he'll tell us everything. Wow, that's an amazing statement of faith. She reveals herself. He reveals himself. It's him who's talking to you. Another boom drops. And what does she do? She drops her little canister, whatever she's got, that little bucket she's got there, a little pitcher. She goes back to her community and becomes a missionary. Becomes a missionary. Now, there's some other things going on that the gospel writer, John, writes for the the listener who's willing to listen, when you immerse yourself in this story. A Jewish person knows that all the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, all met their wives at a well. Something's happening. The fathers tell us that this woman represents the church, a sinful church, a church that Jesus wants to make his bride. He wants to some sense marry this woman. This is a nuptial image. I want to give you all of myself. Because when we are baptized, that is a nuptial bath. And he also doesn't shoot high. He shoots and has an encounter with the person who's at the bottom of the ladder. The floozy on the end. Who's been married five times and shacking up with the sixth one. And he even calls her woman. Now, as we discussed before, man, if you call your wife, hey, woman, that's not going to go well. Because in English, that's considered, a, you know, that's considered an insult. But every other language, it is not. The Greek here word is gyne, which is ganika means wife. And in every other Latin language, the word is donna which is lady. And if you call a man Don in Italian or Spanish, you're saying, sir. In many ways, he is honoring her, lifting her up because she's way down here. She goes from zero to hero just like that. But it has to come in dialogue, mixing it up, not walking away, letting him go deeper and deeper and meet her where she needs to hear what she wants to hear, going to that core wound, even to the wound of her community and the splits that have taken place 
within the Jewish people. Everything is laid bare here. Everything. So I would say to all of us here, and especially to you young people, if you have any doubts about your faith, the church, God himself, let him know. Yell at him. There's nothing more dangerous than for an atheist to yell out to God, if you're real, then show yourself to me. That's dangerous for an atheist to do. It's dangerous because God might answer back. And then what do they do? But even for young people, and it used to happen that when, when young people were like 14, 15, 16, now it happens when they're 5, 6, and 7. They have questions about the faith. They have questions about marriage. They have questions about babies. They have questions about us and you. And I want to encourage you to keep asking them, even if it gets contentious. You know, all, most of you in this room were raised in a faith. Most of you in this room were raised with the faith of your parents. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But for many families, for many young people as they grow up, they'll experience doubt. You should experience doubt. And you shouldn't be tempted to walk into confession and say, bless me, Father, for I have sins. Sometimes I have doubts. That's not a sin. I would say it's a good thing. Doubt is an invitation to a greater faith. Let me say that again. A doubt is an invitation to own your faith. And when the, the faith of your parents dies, then you have a chance to grow your own. Many of you who have teenagers or who were teenagers, come on, just admit it. You sat at the dinner table and you had knocked down drag outs with your parents. And your parents are like, can't you just go with what we're telling you? And they're like, no. And they're snapping their fingers in a Z formation. Well, don't miss out on that. And you're going to have those knockdown drag outs. That's what happened here. That's what happened here. She engaged him. You know, this happened to Jesus a couple of the times, but like in the dark. You know, Nicodemus, he came in the dark to ask a few questions. But every time Jesus revealed himself, the Pharisees and Sadducees, instead of asking better questions, they go connive to have him killed. One of my favorite devotions in the rosary is, you know, the joyful mysteries. The very last mystery is they find Jesus in the temple. Now, most of us and most of you who are adults, when you pray that mystery, what you meditate on is, wow, Mary and Joseph lost their child for three days. And how awful is that? Okay, that's true. But I think what you, what you lose sight of is what he's doing. Little 12-year-old Jesus is sitting in the middle of a bunch of priests and scribes debating with them. They're asking him questions, he's asking them questions, and they're working it out. They're working it out, and it's absolutely healthy. So I would say to all of you, whether it's to come to me, your spouse, someone you trust, or straight to God, Voice your objections, voice your questions, voice your confusions, engage, argue. It might get a little sassy sometime. Even when it descends into debate, it can be healthy. Because when you engage God, 
like she did when she engaged Jesus. What did she do? She went back to her community and engaged them. And she was a nobody. So do the same. Engage the church. Engage God. Engage each other. And then go back out in the world. And no more monologues. Enter into dialogues. Because that's much, much more interesting. You've been listening to Fidem Catholica, the Sunday homilies of Father John Gazzaldo, pastor at St. Luke Catholic Church, Temple, Texas. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you can be made aware when future episodes drop.